The contents of the lab report are meant for educational purposes only. They are not meant to be misconstrued as medical diagnosis or treatment advice. Today on The Lab Report, have you heard of astragalus? I don't know what it is, but it sure sounds delicious. It's a root. It's a root, Patty. I can't eat a root? I mean, a carrot, I guess, but not this root. Not this root. See? The world of medicine can be challenging. Clinicians and patients are always looking for more options, more effective treatments, and in the end, more answers. Functional and integrative medicine focuses on addressing root causes of disease. Here at Genova Diagnostics, we've watched this field evolve and grow for over 35 years. We've not only adapted, we've led. Join us as we talk about functional medicine, laboratory testing, and optimizing health. Welcome to the Lab Report. Look, Michael, stop judging my apartment. Look, all I'm going to say is we've got to hurry this up because my son's going to wake up at any moment and he can... (laughs) Open doors and pick locks. Okay. Guest appearance. Hello. Hello. Hey, Michael Chapman. Hi, Patty Devers. How's it going? It's going great. How are you today? Hey, I'm loving life. Loving life. And uh, I'm loving being here on this show we call The Lab Report, brought to you by Genova Diagnostics, where we talk about things like functional medicine, specialty lab testing, and integrative therapeutics, and the like. And if you like this show, hopefully you would have gone to iTunes or Spotify and subscribe to this podcast, maybe rate, review, leave us some feedback there. Yeah, that would be great. If you have additional feedback, you can always email it, always, to podcast at gdx.net. That's the email address where you can reach us. And I just got to say, Patty, you sound a little different today. I know. We're working from home. This is the, the lab report work from home edition. Is that, is that why our, our it sounds so different? Because we don't have our fancy microphones? Yeah, we're nothing without the microphones. I will say that. I miss, I miss the headphones, too. Yeah, but I will say it's interesting seeing your apartment. You know, Stop. The first time that we've actually done this sort of actual video call. So you know, maybe we should actually make this more of a, a real thing and, and go video with this podcast. Well, I, I'm up for it because my apartment is impeccably clean at all times. So I'm ready. That's- that's true. I'd have to find someplace else to record from. Your car. You sit in your car. <laughs> because who knows what's going to be going on in the background of this place. It's the only safe place for you there. Well, there is a, an upside to this. What's that? There's not going to be any jingles. You can't use any of your sounds or your drops. It's just oh, going to be right. straight. That's what you think. You think what? I don't have access to that just because I'm at home? Well, guess again, Patty. Check this out. Whoa. Michael Chapman, wizardry. What about this? Oh, come on. I can't escape any of this. You can take the toys away from the boy, but you can't take (laughs) the boy away from the toys. That makes absolutely no sense. That's what I'm here for. I know. And it's odd looking at you over a Zoom call and recording this, but you're drinking some kind of brown goo. What is that? That's right. That looks gross. Uh, It's what's called a tincture. Have you heard oh, of this term, a tincture, yes. herbal tincture? Very naturopathic term. Yeah, you know, and this one just so happens to be uh, astragalus. Um, you know, I've just for some reason was since we're working at home, I've been thinking about astragalus and and why that might be beneficial. Okay, so if we're going to talk about astragalus. You said it was a root. How does it become a tincture? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so there's lots of different preparations for these quote unquote herbs that people use. Uh, mm-hmm. One of them is an alcohol extract. 
uh, tincture generally refers to something that's extracted into alcohol. Um, and so you take the herb and it can be a leaf, it can be a flower, it can be a root, it can be bark. And then you essentially just uh, soak that in alcohol so that it is extracted into that solution. It normally takes two to three weeks, then you press it. Bada boom, bada bing, you got yourself a tincture. <laughs> Brown goop. That's right. <laughs> yeah. And that's just one type of uh, herbal preparation. You, there's, there's so many different things out there. There's uh, solid extracts, which come out even thicker than tinctures. You can do um, glycerites, which okay. is a, kind of a similar sort of process, but you're using uh, glycerol, essentially, other, rather than alcohol. And uh, there's hydrosols. There's all these different things that, that you can use. All right. Well, here's a question. Okay. Why don't you just eat the root? Like you said, I can eat a carrot. That's a root. Why can't you just eat the whole root? Uh, it's good and all of it's better, right? Well, I don't know whether you would want to eat the root because most of that is cellulose and mm -hmm. our body's not naturally designed to consume cellulose and, and eat actual roots other than the tubers. <laughs> you know, most oh, other roots okay. uh, are, I don't think we're naturally designed to, to really digest. Okay, but is if you eat the entire root, are there parts of the root that actually might be counterproductive or dangerous to the medicinal piece of that root you're trying to extract? That's all going to depend on the actual plant. Um, there's sometimes where you use the root bark as compared to the whole root. In most cases, you use a whole root. If something has dangerous constituents in it, um, you're often, A, you're, you're probably not playing around with that. But um, you're you're not separating root bark from the actual root in most cases. It's most okay. of the time it's it's whole root. What's referred to as radix. What? R a d i x radix. Oh my gosh. Well, let's consider that in naturopathy, this is yeah. what you're taught. You're taught all of the natural occurring plants that have medicinal properties and ways to extract the medicine into things like tinctures or some other form. And I'm sitting here watching you drink this brown goopy stuff yeah. that you say contains astragalus. And I think we're talking about astragalus today. So why astragalus? What is it? Well, astragalus is an herb that's been used for a long time. Um, you know, I think a lot of the information and a lot of what we think about astragalus, all the, the, lore that has been passed down about astragalus comes from traditional Chinese medicine. So we have a lot to owe to traditional Chinese medicine for the knowledge that we have about astragalus um, is well regarded as something that is immunomodulatory herb um, and, and maybe immune stimulant. Uh, kind of an interesting thing about astragalus, while I think in the naturopathic community, we use it a lot to, to boost the immune, immune system. Um, in traditional Chinese medicine, they actually say once you already have some type of infection, something that has invaded you, mm -hmm. then that is not the time to use astragalus because it protects the barrier. So, you know, you think of like Chinese medicine, it's kind of all energetic based and they think of like almost like a, a barrier around the organism. And so if you have something inside that barrier, you want it to get out. You don't want to be strengthening the barrier. So it, wow. it might be more uh, conducive to prevention of infection, but uh, we still use it actually, you know, despite that for even people who have a, a current infection. Well, in the conventional world, we have things like a pharmacopoeia where you go and you look up all of these medications that we prescribe in conventional medicine. If you go to the Chinese pharmacopoeia, they say it's given for, for cheat efficiency. 
if your chi is off or you don't have the right chi in yeah. balance. And so, so as you're talking about the fact that it won't let things out and it yeah. prevents them from coming in, how does that relate to chi? I don't get it. Uh, that would be a good question for our resident acupuncturist. Um, I do know that it has been used for chi in chi deficiency. Um, and, you know, when I think of chi deficiency, oftentimes it's you develop chi deficiency in that kind of classic patient who's burning the candle at both ends. You know, I tend to think of chi deficiency translated to more of our functional community as something like HPA axis dysfunction uh, okay. and cortisol insufficiency. Um, not that there's a direct one-to-one -one comparison to these things ever from Chinese medicine to, to Western medicine, but uh, that's what it makes me think of. Well, the other thing I think about is in, in conventional medicine, we, we can study all of these different medications that we have, but I think what most people don't realize is that all of it started with plants. It all started from plants. So this is really just taking it back to the history and the beginnings of plants. Well, just, yeah, and I just want to touch on something because that's a really interesting point that I think, uh, you know, we should unpack for a second because you're right. All the original medicines, if you go back to the original pharmacopoeias that you're discussing, is plant medicines that were being used. Or even digitalis um, is foxglove or, right. or aspirin. You know, these all came from plants. They come from plants. Yeah, exactly. And so, um, you know, we have our historical historical materia medicas that have a ton of information on the clinical uses of these plants. But even before that, before, before the development of the materia medicas and the pharmacopoeias, we relied heavily on the natives uh, that were around the area and their understanding of how they've been using the plants for hundreds and hundreds of years. You know, they were sort of the original ones who, who cultivated the knowledge around these herbal medicines. Just by like trial and error of eating various her herbs and roots and seeing what the outcome was. There's a lot of debate on how they come to that understanding, right? <laughs> and then it gets into a little bit of, you know, was this something that came from the shaman and the shaman was, you know, whether it was trial and error or something a little bit deeper is a big mystery, but uh, that's for a whole different podcast, I think. Okay. Okay. So you're drinking the brown goop full of astragalus. That's right. And you mentioned earlier that it's immunoregulatory yeah. and it boosts your immune system. Do they know how, like, what's the mechanism by which it's immunoregulatory? Yeah, so we've got some mechanistic studies that give us some indications. I mean, it's always interesting, right? Because we've been using these herbs for hundreds of years. And and then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, well, we've got to figure out what the mechanism is. I did that. When I first started here, remember I was obsessed with that? Yeah. Remember asking you, well, how does it do it? How does yeah. it do it? Yeah. 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 And so, you know, there's constituents in these herbs. There's lots of different constituents and they act in different ways. And some of the information that has been gathered is that um, they act on end product, a sort of inflammatory cytokine production, which they actually downregulate macrophage mediated inflammation uh, through things like protein kinase and NF kappa B signaling pathways. Um, it's also been shown that they have some sort of. Uh, activity on toll-like receptors. Um, and last but not least, you know, the interesting evidence, at least in animal studies, in my studies, was that it uh, showed that one of these constituents or a couple of them were powerful immunoregulators uh, without stimulating inflammatory cytokines. You know, so they, uh, they can really have a function on, on regulating the T cells in a dose-dependent fashion. So there is some evidence out there that talks about the how the me mechanics of it work um, mm -hmm. that helps support the actual activity that we use it for. 
Well, I'll tell you that in addition to being immunomodulatory, there's a lot of other benefits to it. I mean, there's some study around it being cardioprotective um, as it relates to reactive oxygen species mediation. Like we talk about oxidative stress and, and inflammation. We know that cardiovascular disease is an inflammatory process at its core. And they're showing that astragalus can also be cardioprotective based on that, based on that anti-inflammatory piece of it. And it can also regulate um, nitric oxide synthase levels. So it's interesting that could also be cardioprotective. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there's evidence for other things. And when we're talking about being sort of inflammation modulating and immune modulating, then that's going to have all sorts of downstream effects, whether that's effects from, you know, cardiac output and cardioprotection, as you're talking to, uh, whether that has roles in anti-tumor activity, whether that also relates to, you know, just antioxidative stress activity, uh, the ability to sort of gather up free radicals and, and take care of that. So there's a lot of different uh, studies that are going on onto the different effects of astragalus and, and how it's useful clinically. Well, you know, Patty, this has been fun. It has been fun. And I'll tell you that the reason I think it's fun is because when I first came to Genova and first met you and some of our teammates, I had no exposure to naturopathic medicine. I didn't know a lot of these things. So I find them fascinating. And I'm sure other people are learning something as well. Yeah. Herbal medicine is a good time. I'd even venture to <laughs> call it a hoot. And oh I've enjoyed having a, an entire episode kind of dedicated to one of these herbs, I think for good reason. Uh, one thing that is always fun about herbal medicine as well is, you know, these plants, they don't just have one name. They've got uh, lots of different names. Yes, yes, yes. And you've got the scientific name, you've got the common name, right? And so it just, uh, it makes me think maybe there's a segment here. Oh, no. Where we could talk a little bit about what these herbs are actually just named. You're not going to have another jingle for this, are you? Uh, no, but I'm thinking maybe a little bit of music to set the stage. Okay. And maybe we can call this, what's in a name? Okay. What's in a name? Love it. So, you know, it was funny because we were talking beforehand and uh, you were like, I, I said, hey, what about we talk about astragalus? And you said, okay, what's astragalus called? What's astragalus called? Because <laughs> they're all, they all have really strange, crazy names. And I'll tell you that. Astragalus doesn't have as many as all of the others, interestingly, but the Chinese people named this herb Huangqi. Huangqi, which means yellow leader. Huangqi, yellow leader. Love it. What's in a name? And you might ask yourself, why? Well, the root is yellow, but it's also considered to be one of the most important herbs in traditional Chinese medicine, but they also call it Beiqi, Huangyi, Huangqi. There are some common names for it, including milk vetch. Milk vetch? Milk vetch. What's astragalus called? Milk vetch. What's astragalus called? Milk vetch. What's astragalus called? Yellow leader. Wang chi. And some some others are called loco weed and goat's thorn. Goat's thorn. So listen, Michael, you want to optimize your immune system? What's Grab yourself some milk vetch. I love milk vetch. Okay. I love milk vetch. Yellow leader. Wang chi. It's so much better than goat's thorn, uh, <laughs> which just sounds painful. Uh, and uh, you I just know, I, yellow leader. Honestly, I have nothing to say for what's in a name. Love it. What's in a name? Okay. What? What? What's in a name? Wang chi. What's in a name? Wang chi. Yellow leader. What's a stragglers called? You know, Michael. 
Yeah. I've enjoyed this. This has been fun. And part of me, because we're working from home and this is a whole new setup for us, yeah. maybe you want to skip my least favorite jingle, but somehow I feel like it's not going to be an episode of The Lab Report without question of the day. Well, I thought you'd never ask, and I, I appreciate you asking. So let me just go ahead and play the jingle for you. was thinking because I don't have the big headphones on that this wouldn't be as offensive to my ears, but I was wrong. <laughs> and I couldn't even hear it. I don't know what's going on. I, I think I need to check my setup here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you, we have a really good question for question of the day today, because it's a question that I always had, especially even when I worked in the hospital or, you know, we work at Genova, the question always comes up, how do these herbs that people take affect testing like our laboratory testing here at Genova for example yeah well it's uh it's a big question and a good one um you know I think first and foremost the the question we get a lot is you know is this going to interfere <clears throat> and I think in a lot of cases in most cases these herbs that people are taking are not going to actually interfere with our assay there might be a few exceptions here and there and you can always mm -hmm. go to our website and look under the test prep page for the the actual test you're running to see if there's any interference. But for the most part, these herbs are not going to interfere with our ability to test. But what they are going to do, right, is kind of what they're supposed to. You know, so if you're taking an herb for inflammation or if you're taking an herb to stimulate the immune system, then you might be expecting to see something different with the patient on that herb. You know, hopefully you're, you're seeing the expected outcome of the patient being on the herb. And so, you know, that might be different than if you were to run the test at baseline. So it's a, it could be in a way affecting the results and hopefully the way that you're expecting, um, but it's not an interference. Yeah, and you don't have to stop herbs to do testing. Just you know, recognize that when you go to interpret the results, interpret them in light of the fact that the patient was on an herb. And some people use this to gauge the efficacy of the treatment. So some people find it helpful to continue them. Next time on the lab, my dad's gonna say something smart. Try it one more time. Next time on my, next time on the lab, my daddy's gonna say something smart. <laughs> You've been listening to The Lab Report. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast, rate us, and leave us a review. To learn more about Genova Diagnostics, visit our website at gdx.net. There you'll find information on specific testing, educational resources, and how to connect with our show. Call us at 1-800-522-4762 or email us at podcast at gdx.net. working in the office aren't we yeah it's um this is gonna be what it's like for a few days all right it's all right it's fun it's fun to see the children <laughs>